0: From the Philo Studio of Mendocino County Polyworkcasting, Broadcasting, you are listening to Our waves the monthly program dedicated to the creative sector of Mendocino County. I'm your host, Victor Palomino, and this month we feature the Yukaya Haiku Festival, followed by graphic designer and artist Jeremy Logan, and we end with a conversation with film director and actor Brian Peters. We begin our program with our conversation about the 2024 Yukaya Haiku Festival.
1: Coulter Jacobson, I'm an artist and I
0: am a lover of poetry. Jacob, we're talking about the Yukaya Haiku Festival and this is coming back after a hiatus because of the pandemic and many things so yeah tell, what can you tell our listeners about the festival
1: the festival has been going on for this will be the 22nd year and we did a contest each of those years where we invited locals and internationals to submit haiku to this event um, it was actually started by dorian anderson and susan sparrow Doreen Anderson was a librarian, and she pointed out that Ukaya backwards is haiku. So it's kind of an, an inevitable palindrome. Yeah. So we have to have <laughs> this festival. But um, what kind of started out in naivete um, really um, has developed into something, um, I think, much bigger than a lot of the founders expected it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been so many people involved over the years, um, Sherry Smith Ferry at Grace Hudson Museum. She and her staff there, when she was working there, helped you know, take in all the submissions and do a lot of the organizing. Um, we had many Ukiah Poet Laureates that have been deeply involved, um, from Armand Brent to Michael Rydell. Bill Churchill uh, helped to bring Spanish haiku and has helped to foster uh, entries by um, at-risk youth. Um, so it's been this really, um, you know, big uh, venture and um, it culminates annually, uh, usually in April or May. And it's one day of meeting. It's been at the Civic Center. It's been at the Space Theater. It's been at, in the um, Gardens of Grace Hudson Museum. And it's it's always had this kind of contest element where we invite the people, the winners to come and read their their haiku and I, I guess i should also back up and just say you know
0: what is a haiku yeah that was going to be uh, one of my questions and you answer <laughs> one of my the questions that i have that is like who figured oh, out that Yukaya was haiku in, in oh yeah in i think so like it was apparently. dorian
1: anderson and you know it's funny because it's actually a word from one of the pomo languages Yukaya, obviously and so um this year we thought to, as a more kind of in-depth land acknowledgement to the original people of this land, we have made an open invitation to our Pomo neighbors asking them to share haiku either in Pomo languages or um, Pomo perspectives. So either in Pomo languages, English or Spanish, and we've had uh People like Buffy Schmidt, who teaches at the uh, Ukiah High School, she's teaching northern Pomo, hmm. and she's already been working with her students with that. So that's really exciting and and um,
0: probably never done before, you know. Yeah, um, so, it sounds like. And it's really great to integrate our, yeah. uh, all the communities that are here in the native communities. So for our listeners, they are not familiar with the Haiku. So how can you describe this uh, form of of poems?
1: Yeah, haiku is a Japanese poetic form that developed in the mid 1600s. It's very short. It's a short form. It's a three line poem, and generally um, that's long, short, long. So five, seven, five syllables. It's syllabic, actually. A lot of contemporary haiku, especially in English, don't necessarily follow the syllabic form. Um, which has to do with translation from Japanese to English. The form actually comes from Ranga, which was a longer form. And that was kind of like a call and response, Hmm. often written by a group of poets in the same room. And so haiku, in a a way, is like the call. And since the response has sort of been dropped. Hmm. um, But I like to liken it to kind of like hip hop or like rap battle raps mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or they're going back and forth and responding to each other it, in a way it was kind of like that and i think the early poets in japan would you know uh, try to do it fast and they'd instead of it being rhyme and beat it would be um syllable and season because in haiku there's always kind of a reference to the season um, whether it's in one word or it's the a holiday or something that's you know like now the leaves are falling so you'd you'd mention what kind of tree might be um leafing so there's always this kind of grounding it's one moment in time on planet earth it's kind of like this universal moment like taking a snapshot one quick picture and acknowledging that our earth is on an axis and it's it's bent a little bit and so we have these strange variations on planet earth it's sort of profound in a way it is a lot of people take haiku for granted and And assume that there's not much to it because it's so short and they think it's simple. But I do think it is complicated to write a good haiku. And, you know, I I think it's obviously it's much more than just the syllables.
0: My experience with haiku is that it always kind of like leave you wanted a little bit more but then you reflect on it and you kind of like get it have like it it kicks you in like in different times and like you were saying it's like a reflection of the moment you know and being present and observing and being part of of, of the nature that is around us so and mm. I, I didn't know that was related it. to the seasons too
1: oh yeah i love that idea of lingering like you hear it once and you kind of almost forget about it but then it comes back um often too there's a, a little bit of a twist in the haiku, um, yeah, in Japanese, it's called The Cutting Word. And it actually sort of, sh- there's a shift in the poem. And it's almost like a trick, like it messes with you. But um, I was think when you said Lingering, I thought of the Basho poem that is probably the most famous poem. And there's several, obviously, there's many translations of it. But I thought I'd read Jane Reichhold's translation. And Jane Reichhold... About three years into the festival, so this would be like 2005, um, she heard wind of it. And she's a, a scholar on haiku and has won many awards. And she lived in Gualala. She's no longer with us. But she really brought a lot of weight to the festival when she kind of saw what was happening and saw that there was potential. And she helped to kind of push for teaching workshops and such. And so um, I'll just read her translation of Basho because it, you saying it uh, lingering kind of reminded me of, of the poem. It's, uh, Old pond, a frog jumps into the sound of water. And it's that that sound of the water that, that I think actually lingers. It's such a simple image, but it it's resounding forever.
0: It is. it is, and it's so so simple, so short, but at the same time, it has so much visual uh, aid. I mean, like you're saying that, you just imagine the whole pond and the frog there and like jumping and, and like, I mean, you get all the feelings and the sensations just with a, such a short poem. It's kind of like yeah. the, the simplicity is what it makes it so beautiful.
1: Yeah, and I, I think a, with this festival, what makes it special too is that we have categories for kids mm-hmm. and adults. And I feel like kids are kind of almost in that moment constantly and so they can just sort of spiel off a haiku at random almost (laughs) i mean not necessarily but they their luck is a little bit
0: better than adults adults have to kind of work towards a little more yeah maybe that when you're a kid you're also learning languages and experimenting with languages and you will do like those accidental haiku i wonder if that also happened with people that are learning a second language just trying to say things and ended up just mixing something into a and uh improvised haiku like an unconscious haiku I was going to ask you then about that. What are the categories and uh, who can uh, submit to the, the the festival? Well, we have youth
1: categories that go all the way from kindergarten to high school. And that's divided up, I think, in three or four categories just in within that. Um, we have two in Spanish, uh, one younger than 18, one older than 18. We have an adult category category that's local to ukiah we have uh, the international award called the jane reichold international award where anyone on the planet can enter and this year as i said we have an open call for pomo languages pomo perspectives
0: so it's not restricted for people that live here in mendocino county like exactly i
1: think uh the only category that could be entered by anyone in the world is the international um all the others are regional and that I think it's Lake County, Humboldt County, Mendocino County, and Sonoma County. Okay. I
0: hope I'm not getting any, but those are those are the, the regional that we accept. What are the deadlines to submit and when is the the, the festival is going to happen and what are the dates that people should know about? The deadline to submit
1: is February 8th and You could go on our website, ukiahhaiku.org. That's one H in the middle, not two Hs. And uh, the submission form is there uh, starting now, anytime. The festival is actually going to be April 28th at 2 p.m. And that includes a reading of the haiku by the winners. There's usually a kind of an introduction and one keynote by a, a past Ukiah poet laureate. And there is usually music. We sometimes have shakuhachi music. It's a Japanese flute, bamboo music. I, I should say that we're we're also still looking for venues to do workshops. So if anybody, they could host a, a workshop. Um, I could probably find a teacher to come and visit. We got a grant through California Humanities to teach kind of a, a youth outreach. And so we're looking for... Schools, I, I mean, I could do a, a haiku walk or something. Mm. Uh, going for a walk is a nice mm. way to to write a haiku because you're kind of putting yourself out there in nature. California uh, Humanities is sponsoring that, and that's also through uh, North Coast uh, Inc. We also have been doing this through the Arts of Mendocino uh, Council. Yep. Mm-hmm. They've been helping a lot. Really, it is
0: a, a huge group effort. So you're going to have... Various opportunities for people to participate. Not only to send their haikus if they have them, or the event in April, but there's also opportunities for people to, like you're saying, there's a lot of opportunities to workshops and walks and all this. So, yeah, if somebody's interested in learning more about this, what's the best way to find more information, find the, the submission, and just in general yeah. get information. You know, we started an Instagram account, um, which is Yukaya Haiku Festival,
1: and you can see kind of, you know, a lot of variations on um, haiku and and maybe get an idea of what the the judges might be looking for. There's also a lot of resource guides on the uh, ukiahhaiku.org website, Um, but you could also contact me directly through Festival at gmail.com. Um, if you have any questions or if you have an idea for maybe an opportunity for me or someone else to come and visit a class or host a walk or um, or just talk about haiku in, in general.
0: Well, Colter Jacobson, uh, well, thanks so much for bringing this information to our waves and hopefully our listeners can take this opportunity. Uh, is there anything else you want to add before we end our conversation?
1: Well, I could read a few more haiku if you yes, yes, so listen please short. yes please i thought i'd try i'd read a few uh local local ones okay this this one is by kaylee Holmes. there is rain on the streets and in my eyes actually was originally in spanish and now i'm not sure where the spanish is shoot
0: ah <laughs> uh, right. lluvia en las calles y en mis ojos Ah, that's (laughs) (laughs) amazing. (laughs) Wonderful. Let's see.
1: This one is by uh, Henry Rice of Mendocino, uh, K through three. So very young. The middle schoolers come through the quad in loudness, (laughs) which I think is great because, you know, he's younger than a middle schooler and you can imagine how loud they, they're even more
0: loud from his perspective. Yeah. and again it's so visual i mean maybe i'm I'm a very visual person so every time that i hear those things they're so short but the images are so vivid you know they're just like yeah. they're, they're just constructing when you finish hearing it it's like oh yeah it's there it's so beautiful yeah yeah it's, it's and great. that one
1: actually doesn't have a season in it um no. particularly though i do kind of just feel
0: like it's hot but it's more also like the it's not the season Then it's more like the the time of life you know it's exactly. like discovering yeah. something is like oh there go the middle schooler <laughs> the spring of life maybe yeah well Colter thank you so much for your time thank you you are listening to our Waves on KCYX we'll be back after the break
2: Cancer is the leading cause of cancer death in both men and women. Smoking is the number one cause of lung cancer. Screening is one of the most important ways to detect a lung cancer in its early stages. If you smoke, consider using an over-the-counter or prescription nicotine replacement or a program to help you quit. If you have a history of smoking or are concerned about cancer-causing environmental exposure, contact your healthcare provider for screening recommendations. For more information, go to cancer.gov/types/lung.
0: on Waves, artist and graphic designer, Jeremy Logan.
3: Jeremy Logan, I am the owner, creative director, web developer at the Color Mill in Fort Bragg.
0: Tell me a little bit about yourself.
3: I've been doing art my whole life. Um, I went to art school in Kansas City, um, where I grew up. You know, after I... Left college, I got on the road and traveled for a bit, and then um, ended up getting a job in video games for a while in Seattle. Um, I did that, and in Seattle, and then in Los Angeles. So I did like computer animation for video games for like characters acting and jumping around, you know, fighting whatever the characters.
0: Any games? Any games that we can recognize?
3: Um, I worked on Ratchet and Clank which was like uh, Insomniac Games made that. They just made the Spider-Man game, which was pretty fun. Mm. Didn't work on that, but I worked on their (laughs) Ratchet & Clank games. Let's see, I worked on a Harry Potter game for a little bit. When when the first movie was coming out, they made a game, and uh, I worked on that. And, yeah, so I did video games for a little while, Um, and then my first son, Elliot, was born, and um, that was when my wife and I lived in Los Angeles we decided we needed to get out of LA, it was just not a great environment for raising a family. So we moved up here to Mendocino County. My wife's family has a home here, so we um, moved up here to stay in that that house, and that's where I live today. Mm -hmm. So um, I went freelance, had a pretty good connection or a good network of people from my days in video games, so I could do freelance for quite a while. But I was... Working from my home office and not really getting out in the community very much. You know, I was doing all my work. This was long before Zoom when I Mm. was doing freelance work. So Mm -hmm. um, it was all through email. It was very impersonal. Didn't get to have conversations with the people I was working with very much. And so uh, for some crazy reason, my wife and I decided to buy a print shop in town and see if we could make a go of that and uh, get out of the video game world.
0: Do you um, have any experience with print shops or, or it was?
3: <laughs> well, my mom worked in printing for uh, many, many years. She still does. So I kind of felt nostalgic about printing just from, you know, going in on weekends with her and hanging out at her at her business. I mean, her place was is huge. It's a huge plant that hires, you know, hundreds of people. So mm. it's not anything like what we have in Fort Bragg. <laughs> but yeah, I felt a little nostalgic about printing. Just from that experience, we bought this print shop, but um, we knew pretty early on that we wanted to bring more design sort of um, work into the business. They did a little bit of design, but it was it was kind of a minor part of their business. And both my wife and I come from a creative background, so we really wanted to enhance that part of the business mm-hmm. and focus more on that. So over the last eight or so years, we've been building sort of a design studio and on top of this print print shop that we've mm-hmm. owned
0: and when you were growing up uh was art always part of your it was always on your mind it was something that you always wanted to be pursued in some kind of like creative career
3: yeah i mean i always doodled and did a lot of drawing my mom um loved to read these like um grocery store romance novels so we had tons of those around the house and, mm-hmm. and this, this will make sense in a second but um, we had a bunch of these and um for some reason, I don't even know, I don't know where I got the inspiration for the first time, but like, I got an idea that I wanted to do flip books. And so she had all of these books around the house and I would draw little flip books in the margins, like of the pages. Mm-hmm. I would draw little stick figures running back and forth and jumping and, you know, I was a young boy, so it was mostly like shooting each other and fighting <laughs> and, you know, kung fu fighting, stick figures, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I have. I'm sure she still has a ton of those books with little flip book uh, drawings in the side in the margins. Yeah, but I've ever you know I've always drawn and been creative. I think it's pretty amazing that nowadays there's so much opportunity for people to like make a living being creative. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple hundred years ago the only way to do it was to paint for a patron, you know, like some rich guy that wanted a portrait of his, of his self or his family or the church. Or the church yeah. Um, and now there's so many, you know, creative outlets for people. If, if, um, if you want to do it, it, it is possible. It's not, it's still not super easy, but it's possible, more possible to make a living doing it mm-hmm. now than it ever has been in the in the past. And I've always felt, best when I'm creating something, Mm. building something. So I I try to fill my life with creativity and and making things.
0: How is your uh, creative process? Like when you're working on a commission or you're working for something for yourself, how do you get those creative uh, mind working?
3: I've read a few books on creativity and um, one of the best that I read mentioned that uh, like like everybody always says there are no new ideas under the sun like it's hard to come up with a new idea everything's already been done but um one of the things that stuck with me was the notion that an, a new idea can form out of two old ideas so if you have two old ideas that you like that you're playing around with and and you can combine them into something new then that's where the new idea comes from like you can think of like something way out of left field to combine with something that the client is asking for and then that becomes like something new and creative that you can you know sort of play with so my creative process it starts with a lot of brainstorming like that thinking about like well how can I make this different how can I make this unique and interesting and and with client work you know Still make it commercial or you know make it uh viable so that you know a broader audience can appreciate it it's a lot I spend a lot of time just sketching in a in a sketchbook drawing little thumbnails trying to you know play with ideas visually. I feel like there's always like a stage in a in a work where Everything seems to be going wrong, and it's in a and it just is like an ugly duckling, and it hasn't become a swan yet. And through years and years of beating my head against that brick wall, I've learned just to kind of push through that stage, and then things slowly sort of bloom into something that that makes sense and and looks good. I used to teach art for a little while, and the thing that I I, I would always you know hammer into the students' heads is like keep sketching, like. Keep drawing in your journal or in your notebook, um, in your sketchbook, because you're teaching yourself to see. You're you're teaching your hand how to make marks, but you're also teaching yourself how to look at the world and how to see see things. If you think about how to draw a tree, you know, you think like symbolically, like it's like a a trunk and then a couple of branches coming off and a squiggly like line for the leaves for the leaves, you know. But um, if you really look at a tree, there's so many shapes in there that you really you really need to train your eye to see those shapes. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're going to be fighting your brain over like what that symbol is instead, you know.
0: And um, get frustrated and and go through all that process of like that doesn't look like I want it to.
3: Yeah, so a lot of sketching. That's that's the best best way to start for yeah. sure.
0: When one of the reasons why. I was interested in talking to you is because a lot of the artists that have been uh, interviewed for this program, uh, they they have traditional mediums. They either painters or sculptors or ceramists or dancers. And but you work with uh, a digital media. You're a graphic designer, and 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 the computer is a is a tool for you. So mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about approaching that as a as a as a as a, as a, as a, as a new medium. Is I mean the technology. Is we live in a golden age of technology for that, and I, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure you have many, many tools. But uh, tell me a little bit about how is that working uh, with a computer instead of like a canvas or in, in in a traditional medium.
3: I still like to work traditionally when I can. I don't get to do it very often, but it's more time-consuming, and you can't iterate on ideas as quickly, or you know, throw out old bad ideas and start new ideas as quickly as you can with digital, digital media, I think, well, like when you're in the initial sketching stage, sure, you can make a lot of, you know, ideas and get them on paper really quickly. But once you start painting, I just, I feel like commercial work is, would be way harder to do in a traditional sense. So I definitely, yeah, do a lot of my work in Photoshop and Illustrator, the Adobe products, Mm -hmm. what I use mostly. I love having the undo button. <laughs> That's one of the great things about the digital media. Is I know we need,
0: uh, we need one of those for real life. Yeah,
3: totally. <laughs> so like, I know there are a lot of people that go way down lots of rabbit holes with technology and how the, how to use the tools. And I think I've, I've picked up some, you know, hotkeys and shortcuts and that sort of thing. But I mean, it's, it's digital and it's, it's in a computer, but I feel like I'm still pretty low tech when it Mm. comes to making things in the computer. I Mm -hmm. still just have a stylus, you know, a tablet and I just draw and use the undo button a lot and have like a few brushes that I use. And most of it is, it looks pretty traditional the way that I use it. You can get pretty crazy with textures and weird fills and all kinds of effects and stuff. And I don't know. I don't. I, I just never got in that into uh, going down those rabbit holes, you know. But I, it it works for the way I use it. So it's sure. just
0: like a, a different tool, but the process is is the same.
3: Yeah, because. it it looks similar to just drawing with pen and ink, <laughs> basically. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, watercolor or something.
0: And and when you're working with the stylus and everything, is like the feeling. What if if it is is strange? It took you a while to get used to, or it was just like natural, like working with a pen.
3: When I first started using a tablet, it was not It was a different kind of tablet that you kind of ha- had on your desk, and then you would look at the screen up here while you're drawing down on the tab- tablet in your lap or something, you know, but now they've come up with tablets that you, you can actually draw on the screen, and that's what I use now, which is so much easier because you don't have to, like, it took a long time to get your hand, do something down on your lap while you're looking up at a screen, you know, it's, it's kind of a disconnect that Uh took a little practice, you know, took me a while to figure that out, but now everybody's kind of spoiled. They can just draw on the screen and, you know, it it doesn't feel that different. There's like different textures and different pen tips that you can get that feel more like pencil or pen, that kind of thing helps making the material feel like it has some friction. Mm -hmm. If you're drawing on glass, it doesn't have enough friction so you're i don't know there's like a feel to it that doesn't feel like paper and it doesn't mm-hmm. feel right to draw on but um yeah now they the tools are getting really good for that kind of thing
0: uh, a couple of weeks ago almost like a month ago you did a presentation at the medium gallery uh, about a project that you did a collaboration with mendocino spirits and and you created some of the logos from uh the uh, some some of their uh, liquors and spirits and uh, i was really impressed with the pro- with the production and uh, and what you said about the process so tell me a little bit about that collaboration where you got the inspiration if you can describe some of those the work that you did
3: i've, I've been talking to crispin the owner of minestino spirits and Tamar for a long time about working with them on some labels and they decided to do this new brand, Mendocino Spirits. They were they were previously, or their their other brand is Low Lo Gap whiskey, and um, that's been pretty popular. But they wanted to branch out and and try something new, and um, so they came to me to help them brand and come up with some labels for the Mendocino Spirits. And they came to me with the idea of Art Nouveau. So Art Nouveau is like a a school of graphic design and painting and furniture and like it was a whole movement back in the um, 1800s early 1900s and one of the most famous artists in that style was Edward And so I um, looked at his work a lot they wanted to do Art Nouveau and he's like the most famous Art Nouveau artist so I looked a lot at his work and he happened to have done a ton of spirit labels himself and wine labels so I, there was so much good inspiration there for, um, creating a whole, uh, line of labels for Mendocino spirits that, that fit that style and, um, could keep a consistent theme for all the different spirits. So they had a whole line that they were going to do labels for. And, um, yeah, it was, it's been a really fun project. We've mm-hmm. gone through and we've done uh, five of them now so far and, uh, each time, it's it's a blast. I love working on them.
0: Yeah, and there's a combination of uh, the seasons and also some representation of the county, like some landmarks that you can recognize in, in those labels. How, how did you decide to uh, incorporate that to, to, to the labels?
3: So we sat down and had like a big meeting at the very beginning, like how do we want to represent this brand and what's, what's special about this brand? And um, they wanted to definitely highlight the things that make mendocino special you know it's mendocino spirits and we wanted to you know have some landmarks have some sort of stereotypical scenery in the background of the mendocino hillsides and the the coastal scenery some of the characters like captain fletcher is on one of the labels and he was a famous figure down in um the navarro area so because it's Mendocino spirits and we wanted to, you know, really create a sense of place on, in these labels. It, um, I spent a lot of time just thinking about what makes this place special and what, what kind of landscape it is and, um, how to represent that on the bottle. It's fun. It's always something (laughs) new.
0: (laughs) And this is for, for this uh, label did you start with a sketch on paper and then you go to the, the patent and continue there?
3: Yeah, yeah. Started with sketches in a sketchbook uh, with pencil, and we went through a lot of ideas, but it, we kept coming back to the. In the first bottle was the bourbon. We kept coming back to this idea of a really strong female figure and sort of representing the heart of Mendocino County, but but also strong and powerful and um, confident, and so a lot of those kind of words kept coming up. That's how we ended up with the imagery that we did with mm-hmm. that bottle. And then this whole series of labels and ended up being sort of a variation on that theme of like the heart of Mendocino County and what it means to derive the spirit from the county.
0: Is there something from like studying the art deco uh, uh, projects and, and, and the style? Is there something that you are going to continue adapting to your own personal work? Something that you like and you say like, hmm, this is... This is something that it, it fits to my work.
3: Every time I take on a project, I feel like I learn a bunch of new things and they all make me who I am as an artist. So it's sort of always a learning experience being a creative. You're always pulling in new things from you know your environment or from other artists, inspiration from the, even the tools that you use. You can experiment with tools and then you... Incorporate those experiments into your own style. There's, well, I guess there's this big controversy with artificial intelligence making art and and um, making a lot of artists upset. And and I can see their their point because this thing is doing something that is we thought we were going to be, you know, the machines were going to start doing the labor that we didn't want to do, and then we could have more time to do poetry and artwork. Mm -hmm. And now it turns out the machines are just going to take that away from us. And that's, that's a little upsetting, but um, one of the arguments that the artificial intelligence people bring up is that using reference or copying other artists is a tradition as old as art itself. Like we've always been copying other artists. Mm -hmm. And so the machine is just doing that, you know, in a grander, more insane way. way. Yeah. I don't know if I agree with that, but I, That it is true that artists all spend a lot of time looking at other artists and getting inspiration from other artists and copying and learning the techniques of those artists. I know like I think it was Hemingway said that he would take his favorite authors and write their books word for word with his own typewriter, just copy their Mm -hmm. entire book. Just just practice and to learn and learn how they think and how they do things. And, and I think the same thing is happens with artists. We all yeah. look at each other's work for inspiration, but all of that inspiration goes through one soul and becomes the spirit or the style of that one artist that's creating, that's outputting art. So, so you get all this input and then you output something that's uniquely your own, like it's your own style, your own spirit has has developed from all of your influences mm-hmm. and yeah, I think these bottles, this, these labels, all the projects I do have some sort of an effect on who I am as an artist mm-hmm. and, and what I'm going to do next. Some more than others, these, these labels take a long time and I've definitely spent more hours on them than, than a lot of projects. So yeah. they definitely have a bigger impact for sure.
0: Huh. It's kind of like you said at the beginning that there is this concept that is like nothing new but you take the old, you take your ideas and combine it and you create something new that is going to be your mark. It's going to be your, your, your independent work. And that's going to be new for other people. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Is there anything else, Jeremy, do you want to add before we end?
3: Thanks for, thanks for having me. (laughs) (laughs) This has been fun. Um, This is pretty cool. I'm glad that the radio station is doing this and talking to artists. I guess I would say I'm, Always inspired and um, surprised by how much creativity is happening in this county. It's a pretty unique place in the world. We don't have a lot, you know, We're there's a lot of poverty and we don't have a lot of giant, you know, big city things, but we have a lot of creative people and a lot of um, like a beautiful community that it's really inspiring to be amongst them. Yeah. I'm really glad to be here.
0: I I shared that sentiment, and just to end, if our listeners are interested in and in, and see your art or more information, what's the best way to contact you?
3: Well, our website is colormilldesign.com. That's where you'll find a, like a contact form to to get a hold of us, and hello at mycolormill.com is another is our email mm-hmm. where you can uh, email us if you want to talk to me or get a hold of us. Um, and we have a shop in Fort Bragg on Redwood, on Redwood Avenue. So you can come in when we're open and, and say hi. But uh, I won't be there. I work from home mostly. It's mostly my wife that sits at the shop. But uh, <laughs> that's. But uh, yeah, you can get a hold of us there, and you can see my work on at ColormillDesign.com as well.
0: Perfect. Yeah. Well, Jeremy Logan, thank you so much for your time, sharing uh, your process, your inspiration, and here with uh, Casey Wack. Okay. Bye. Take care. You are listening to Our Waves on KCYX. After the break, we have our conversation with filmmaker and director Brian Peterson.
2: The holiday season means family get-togethers, travel, and holiday events. Keep the holidays happy and protect your family and friends from illness. Consider wearing a mask in crowded, public, indoor places. Wash your hands. Improve ventilation by opening windows or using air purifiers. Get the influenza, COVID-19, and RSV vaccines. Talk to your healthcare provider to determine which vaccine is best for you and your family. Contact your local pharmacy or go to myturn.ca.gov to make an appointment.
0: On R-Waves, film director and actor, Brian Peterson.
4: My name is Brian Brooks Peterson, and I have taken it upon myself to become a filmmaker and create the film I always wanted to see when I was a kid, and I've done so.
0: So, Brian, uh, welcome to KCYX. We are in R-Waves. This is a show where we portray and talk with the creative sector in Mendocino County. And we're here because we're talking about the Movie, this is your first movie?
4: So, so I've been involved in and made and acted in 21 small movies, short films, and I wouldn't show you any of them. There, it's, <laughs> it's almost like you're, you, if you're a novel writer, you've got to practice with some poems and some short things you know, before you get it right. And I've got, I think I've got it right enough to make a feature film. Mm-hmm. And so I put all my efforts together, and the, the, the best and most talented of the friends that I've met along the way, we've put together a film that is knocking them dead so far, and I'm pretty proud of it. And what's the name of the film? It's named Wrecker. W R E C K E R.
0: So tell us a little bit about the plot of the movie without spoiling it for
4: our <laughs> listeners. So first of all, it's made in a, like an '80s style. I, I always like the movies back in the '80s. They're the biggest influence on me. Uh, the Indiana Jones films, the 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 Samurai, Amy Evil Dead series. These movies that just had a huge impact. Uh, werewolf, uh, American Werewolf in London, things like that, I've, I've combined horror with comedy, which I think is a good combination. It's what John Landis did in American Werewolf in London. Like when, right when you start laughing, if you study the way he wrote it and the way he filmed it and the way he edited and put it together, if you're laughing, get ready because he's about to hit you with a big scary thing, but he's messing with your emotions. Mm-hmm. And I took that upon myself. Like I, that's a great lesson to learn from a master storyteller like John Landis, who's made wonderful movies huge impacts on a whole bunch of people and so I put that into my writing and my editing which I do all myself I produced directed wrote and acted in the film I have kind of a jack of all trades when it comes to this movie thing I kind of have to be because I'm dealing with no budget so I've I've made a film in an 80s style it's got 80s coloring it's got kind of 80s hard rock like oh uh, yeah and like compared to it you know like like the action scenes have got a got a good bass guitar to them and you know mm-hmm. like a thump and beat like it's a rock thing it's it was a lot of fun to make a movie like this that you you don't need to take it too seriously you're sitting down you want to be entertained that's the whole purpose of watching a film in the first place are you entertained mm-hmm. and i find time and time again i'll sit down and I'll watch a 300 million dollar budget marvel film and i'm not entertained All those times that you look at the list of credits, and there's hundreds of people. It takes six, seven minutes to list all the credits. And all these people combined to make something that was a waste of a couple hours of my time. And I don't believe that I've done that. I've had such positive reinforcement from everybody who's seen it, not just people that know me, people that don't know me, telling me, like, hey, you did a really good job. And that's the kind of thing I need to help push me forward so I can make the next film and the next after that and actually become a real, actual filmmaker. Mm, I mean, I am a real, actual filmmaker, but until somebody hands me a huge check for it, I can't really consider myself professional at it yet. So I'm on my way now. So, and this is made here in Mendocino. You work with local talent. You did everything here. You know, what's crazy is that right down the street, about 10, 12 minutes away, I find a guy named Carlos Madrid Mora. And he just happens to be a classically trained Shakespearean actor hmm. with no acting jobs currently mm-hmm. like well like let me actors. put you in this thing i found brian and billy billy heatherton brian arnold who just happened to run the willett shakespeare company if you, i just looked around me and like wait a second there's a bunch of talent around here but there's nobody putting these guys to good use so they're working jobs you know like you know selling cars and things and not really doing the things that they want to do so i presented the script they loved it say hey i'll give you guys all parts like big parts in this film and they were just blown away hey we really want to do this and like like carlos was so good and was so attentive and so like hey do you want to help me because i'm acting in this movie it would help me if you actually got behind the camera and started running can you be an assistant director for me and he's like yeah so he did such a great job i made him assistant director for part of the film so i've uh, there was a tremendous response from those guys who told other people who also had experience that i met uh audio technicians I met camera guys I'm like okay this is really falling together now Lots of the actors in the film have never been in a film, but they have small parts. All the actors that have big parts, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised, They did a pretty damn good job. One of them was uh, the star of an old movie about 30 years ago called Monster Squad. He was Rudy. If you remember way back that far, he was the cool kid that had the leather jacket and the cigarette in his mouth that he never lit. <laughs> 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 He's my most famous guy.
0: That's so interesting about Mendocino, you know, this you find all kind of character like that in talent mm-hmm. here. Yeah.
4: Yeah, these people were just hanging around, from what it seemed like, they were just waiting for someone to make a film so they could pop out of the woodwork and say, hey, I want to be involved. And I gladly said, okay, let's go. Uh-huh.
0: So the movie is done.
4: It's ready. People can see the trailer. Uh-huh. And what are you going to show the movie? I had a premiere last year that had a great response. I've, I've gotten distribution right away. So the movie available on Tubi, T-U-B-I, Uh, But it's got commercials, but, you know, it depends on if you want to pay for it or not. You can go to Amazon Prime Video and you can find record. There's two records. There's a 2015. I'm not that one. I'm the 2022. And that is, I think, you can rent. And it's not, you know, going to break your budget Mm -hmm. right there to see it. There's also a, a Google Play uh, and it's on YouTube movies but once again there's commercials in that so that's how I make my money if people watch it on YouTube movies and I'm sure I get uh, 1 30th of a penny every time a commercial <laughs> plays or you know something like that
0: yeah and so you started you got this idea but it doesn't come out of the blue let's talk about a little bit your background
4: you went to film school I went to film school and there was a reason for it I, I was working on a crab boat up in Alaska years ago and you probably don't know about it down here, but it was a famous storm that was called Black Monday. And it was a, a large rogue wave, which is a wave that goes in the opposite direction of all the other waves, so you don't see it coming. Hmm. And a rogue wave of 62 feet tall. Can you imagine how big that wave was? And that came over, and it knocked over boat after boat after boat. So by the time one boat got to the emergency and called, said, hey, there's a wave coming. It was 3 in the morning. It's pitch black. It's, it was super. This is up next to St. Paul, St. George Island, up towards the Bering Straits. It's the most dangerous job in the world for a reason, because things like this happen. So the first thing that hit me was the wall on my right. The wall hit me. The wall hit me. (laughs) The chain (laughs) broke on the crab pod. It was 880 pounds. It fell on top of me. The other guys had to get it off of me with a crane. The only thing that was working on my body was my right arm. I was able to crawl out from underneath it once I got the crane up. And I had to get my arm back in joint, my knees back in joint, or wipe the blood off my face. And as I looked at myself, I realized, what are you doing? Why are you up here? You're up in Alaska. Didn't you want to be a film producer? When I was a kid, I wanted to be a film producer. I wanted to write my own movies, and I wanted to star in the movie and tell stories. And in those stories, I wanted to have things to teach people, something that would better the world. Anybody that would watch my movie might be able to be a better person in the end. You know, That kind of idea, like you know, basically like a father telling a son a story and hoping that there's a good moral in it that he mm-hmm. might get something out of it. And I wanted to do that. But why am I not doing it? Why am I up on a boat risking my life so someone can put crab into some butter it, it, it's And I, it was a really stupid move on me to go up there, but it also made me realize that I was wasting my life mm. in a very dangerous way. So what's a life-changing experience? Life-changing I said, experience. I, was, I looked at myself in the mirror, saw the blood, saw my arm out of socket. I could barely stand. My knees were turn black the next mm. day. It was a really big deal. I almost died. I was uh, recovering from that for 10 months, and in those 10 months, I researched schools most schools were four-year three-year there's a two-year school and then there's a one-year school that kind of taught you everything all at once in san francisco i was like well <laughs> I think that's the way to go. Let me start with the one-year program, and that's where I met several friends. And it was basically an audition for me because we did sound classes, screenwriting classes, directing mm-hmm. classes, lighting, which is a really tough one. If you don't light your movie correctly, it doesn't look like a professional yeah, movie. you can have a really good Boy, story, but one. if it's not, yeah. it doesn't and look that, good. So every class that I took in this year was an audition, and I just picked out all the best guys. Okay, hey, all the best people, all girls and guys, let's make a movie together. And it, as it turns out, apparently in the history of that school, no one has actually made a feature film that actually went anywhere. So I'm the only one. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, the the process of getting it to, get to go somewhere is up to me now. Do, doing things like this, getting the word out with mm-hmm. an interview. So thank you for this.
0: Yeah. So now you are here. You're in Willits. Uh-huh. You're producing. So you director acted, uh-huh. wrote the scene, the movie. You did everything. How did that feel? Now that you have you
4: have your 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 work done you're doing the promotion now you're looking for exhibition. how do you feel right now it's hard to tell people that because people when you without showing them the trailer when you see the trailer you're like okay you're not kidding but when you say hey i produced this i wrote this i acted the lead role in this too which pre- meant a lot of working out i did the um i did all stunts even stunts for other people that were dangerous by dressing up as them uh there are seven car crashes i did all the car crashes i did the explosions i did everything i did all fight choreography even with people that were there were some professional fighters in it, but I led them and told them what to do. I painted the walls and I constructed all the sets. So any wall, anytime you see zombies inside cages, I built all that because I had to can't afford to hire somebody to do these things. So I did everything. And to tell people that say, Hey, I've got this completed. And most people brush it off and say, yeah, whatever. I'm like, Oh yeah. Watch my trailer. Mm-hmm. 65 seconds of your life. And you're going to eat your words. And so far, everybody has.
0: (laughs) Where, if somebody's listening right now and want to watch the trailer, where can they go? Uh,
4: My YouTube channel, (laughs) which is... uh, Now, my name is Brian Brooks Peterson. I cut the Peterson because I thought Brian Brooks might be easier to say. So I'm Brian with a Y, Brian Brooks on YouTube. Uh, The simplest thing, though, is to go to Wrecker, that's Wrecker with a W, WreckerTheMovie.com. That's got everything. That's got your trailer. That's got every uh, opportunity to watch the film on it. uh, And it's in different languages. Uh, the Hindi and Chinese and Spanish. And that's right. You're going to show your movie in, in Colombia, in South yeah. America. Yeah, so that's the, the whole idea here is I, I knew that my movies, my, it, it's, I'm not saying it's anything but a B movie. It is a B movie, obviously, but it's a good B movie. It's not a waste of anybody's time to watch this. It's, you're going you're gonna to feel better about yourself watching it. and say, hey, this guy did a good job. That was entertaining. But it's made for foreign audiences. I know that because there are com- uh, countries like Turkey for- loves American B-movies. Mm. China loves American B-movies. But mm-hmm. right now, there's some problems over there with, with Google and, and things. So they're not mm-hmm. showing. Uh, th- the things on my platform, Amazon, is actually not available over there. Only in Hong Kong, I mm-hmm. found out. So down in South America, the, th- they love like John Cena Guys like, Mm -hmm. big white guys with blue eyes. Well, I'm one of those. Not not as big, (laughs) but they have a tendency to like characters like that. Well, I've got a movie that just happens to have that. Me. And so I uh, talked to a few people here and there, and through my wife and her connections, ended up meeting... uh, El Negro Salas who's a famous actor who's got 50 million followers who asked to see me who saw my trailer which led to more promotions through this wonderful woman named Alejandra who's now set me up by going uh, I'm going to the Latino Music Awards and I'm going to walk down with my wife I'm walking down the red carpet we get to get our pictures taken and we're nice. not in the audience we're going to be back with the promoters and the, 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 the photographers meeting all the people in the media Industry. which is exactly what I need mm-hmm. and as long as we're going to be down there now That we have this trip set down there i have nine different interviews with nine different television stations and a potential of two more so i'm going to be busy from morning to night every day that i'm down there promoting my film this is exactly what i need to happen in my career right yeah. now is I'm very excited for it well congratulations thank you
0: and thank you for coming up to the studios of KCYX and talking about your movie I'm glad that hopefully we can see it here in Mendocino County uh, soon and so for our listeners but Brian thank you so much for coming to KCYX
4: hey I want to thank you so much to you. this was a real pleasure thank you thanks for listening to our waves if you missed part of this
0: show or if you want to listen to our archives visit the podcast page at kcyx.org. If you're an artist, musician, writer, of any kind of creative person, and want to be in our program, send an email to victor at kcyx.org. My name is Victor Palomino, and I'll be back with Marty Darling the third Thursday of every month for another episode of Our Waves here in KCYX, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. Hasta la próxima. Thank you.